You're listening to the MoneyWeb Now podcast series with Simon Brown. Live streamed every weekday at 6.30 a.m. It's Monday for December. Chinese industrial profits here to date down 7.8%. I'm Simon Brown coming at you live and loud from the MoneyWeb Global Headquarters in Johannesburg, South Africa. On the show today, Chantal Marks, Head of Research, F&B Wealth and Investments. The Tiger brand results, I mean, margin slip, uh, volume slip margin, marginally, but a, a tough set of numbers. And I want to ask if she's bullish gold, if yes, her preferred gold stock. Brendan Naidu from uh, Liberty talking uh, virtual immigration legal and tax implications. The idea that we can be in South Africa but earn money from an overseas business operation. Mario Fisher from Old Mutual Investment Group, quantitative approach to for their offshore investment fund. This show is brought to you by Stanlib. Visit stanlib.com to get in touch with one of their investment specialists. Stanlib Asset Management is an authorized financial services provider. Morning headlines for MoneyWeb Global ESG market shrinks after sizable decline in the U.S. In the rest of the world, ESG-related assets are still growing. This according to the Global Sustainable Investment Alliance. Business Day, Transpaco is still hunting very aggressively for acquisitions. Niche Packaging Group has found no deal-worthy opportunities, says the CEO. Morning markets, US was green, S&P up 0.6% and NASDAQ up 0.3%. Gross in the east, it is red this morning, Sydney off 0.2% and Tokyo down 0.6%. Commodities, mostly gold. Gold, uh, mostly green. Gold, 2,106 in the futures market. That is an all-time high. Brent, 78.40. Platinum, 9.39. Palladium is your red, 1,037. Rand, 18.64. Bitcoin, 40,850. 10 cent up 0.7%. And Hong Kong and top 40 looking for a 310 point open uh, to the up. That is almost half a percent higher. MoneyWeb now on the money. Also available on podcast. Training now with uh, Chantal Marks, Head of Research, FMB Wealth and Investments. Chantal, appreciate the early morning. Tiger brand results out Friday. On the surface, revenue up 10%, HEPs up 2 dividend up 3%. But oh, a litany of, 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 of concerns, uh, interest costs, uh, inflation, consumer, load shedding, rand weakness, I- immensely tough. I thought not a horror set of numbers all considered. Absolutely. And I think that most of the South African companies have actually did, uh, done exceptionally well in this reporting uh, period, particularly in the in the in the food business, because you would think that these impacts would have a, a major uh, would have a major detracting um, influence on these numbers. And what we're actually seeing is is a kind of a bit of resilience coming mm. through here. Now, this is exactly what you would want from a consumer staples company, right? Um, but in the past, when we've had these uh, kind of negative economic cycles, the likes of a Tiger Brands and other companies that are exposed to uh, more the more volatile sectors like bread and maize would have suffered a lot more. Um, but yeah, I thought it was it was pretty decent. Um, I mean, the, the if you look at the individual kind of categories, uh, I think they did very, very well with the exception of grains, where we mm. would have expected a bit of volatility. At, at, at 180, is there opportunity here if we look forward to next year and say, you know what, a lot of those concerns that they have, you know, consumer under slightly less pressure perhaps, uh, interest rates certainly coming down, inflation coming down, does that give opportunity here or best still to watch and wait? 
look, their, their outlook statement was very conservative, <laughs> which you would expect, right? Mm -hmm. um, so they said, yeah, food inflation is going to come down, but there are certain um, idiosyncratic factors in South Africa that could result in food inflation here remaining a little bit uh, more elevated. Um, personally, I'm not that that negative. I do think uh, that consumer disposable income um, will improve. I, I mean, it's it's the hope that kills you, Simon, but I also have a mortgage. <laughs> so <laughs> you have to think that things are going to be better once you start seeing um, inflation come a little bit more in in tech um but yeah i mean if you look at the valuation 10 times forward pe um i mean that is that is more than one standard deviation below its average over time it's trading at a discount to um the likes of an avi mm. usually tiger brands and avi kind of trade in line with with one another so yeah i think that there, there definitely is an opportunity here but i mean you have to pick your your fighter right um i think tiger brands wouldn't be my main guy but um yeah i think that there, there definitely is a chance for a re-rating on the cards uh just mentioned in the intro gold trading up at all-time highs are you bullish gold and is there a gold stock that you particularly like on our market so longer term, I'm never bullish gold. Yeah. It's it's very volatile. Um, if you look at these ten year graphs as well of the 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 gold miners, they've given you they they give you absolutely nothing, right? So um, at least you're at a kind of a, a cyclical high point. Now I think that with the the dollar expected to continue weakening there should be natural support for the gold price and that of course will be very positive for gold miners near term but we've already seen some some really good gains there so i think that when you are looking for exposure to gold mining in, in particular you need to go for the guys with um the 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 best quality um the lowest cost mines um and there needs to be some other driving force behind a potential um continued improvement in the share price so uh we really like anglo gold yeah um, mm -hmm. i think the the biggest thing is that it's still trading at a discount to the international golds but it's no longer a south african company so it's trading like a sa gold company um but it's no longer an SA gold company. So I, I see that there's a there's a chance for a potential re-rating there. Um, so yeah, Anglo Gold would be the one for me. Take your point, and it is now officially listed offshore, no longer here, and got no assets here, of course, either. We'll leave it there. Chantal Marks, Head of Research, FMB Wealth and Investment. Appreciate the early morning. Your money knows it's not just about the money. It's about your returns returning the favour and empowering people. Your money can do more to change the narrative. Beyond delivering consistent returns, investing in the Stanlip Kanisa Impact Investment Fund can help eradicate poverty and protect the environment. Invest for more impact at stanlip.com forward slash more. Stanlip Asset Management is an authorized financial services provider. MoneyWeb now on the money. I'm chatting with Brendan Naidu, Liberty Lead Specialist for Retail Investment Proposition Management. Brendan, appreciate the time today. The world has been shrinking for a very long time, probably for centuries, but the last three years really has accelerated this. And this opens all sorts of opportunities for people to effectively do virtual immigration, which if I understand correct, would be stay local, but earn global. Thanks for having me, Simon. Hi to your listeners. So yes, Simon, the last three years with the pandemic has really sort of sped up this notion and this trend of virtual immigration. And as you say, it's all in the name, right? So it's the employer-employee relationship existing across borders 
and the pandemic technology infrastructure improving has really pushed us towards the world of Teams and Zoom, etc., where the trend of working in one country for an employee in another country is set to continue. If I had mentioned this to my boss four years ago, I would have got laughed out of the room. But I think you make the point there that the pandemic really showed us that we can do it and kind of got us comfortable with doing it, which has really been what's revolutionized it in the last couple of years. Absolutely. To be honest, I think if we take the pandemic out of the scenario, Mm -hmm. I think the trend exists, but on a much lower level than where we are right now. So you're right. It's been properly accelerated by the pandemic. And let's remember Being in South Africa, we probably have a few advantages that other places in the world don't have. A proficiency in English being one of Mm -hmm. them. I think that's well sought out across the world. I think having a time zone that aligns quite nicely with Europe is pretty sought after. And then, I mean, having the hard skills to go out and do these jobs is probably the cherry on the top. Are there any legal implications around virtual immigration? I mean, scratching my head, I want to say no, but maybe there is something lurking somewhere. No, unfortunately, they are here. So I think labor law is the one that tends to come up quite often Mm. because what you have here is you've got this employee-employer relationship, but your employer is sitting in one country with their own legislation and you've got your employee sitting in another country with different legislation. And generally what happens is you tend to follow the legislation of where the employee is based, but that could contradict the employer. So it can get a little iffy on the labor law side. And people try to overcome this by setting up a corporation rather than Mm -hmm. operating as an employee and have like an outsourced agreement to a business, which can work. But look, as you well know, people see this as an opportunity. So now there's a few legal firms out there who actually take care of the compliance requirements associated with virtual immigration. Yeah, okay, I'll take your point on that. The biggie, however, is going to be tax and, and to a degree forex. And that's always going to be complex. But there's proposed changes to the tax act coming, which could also have even further implications here. Yeah, correct. I mean, you are a South African resident still, so your worldwide tax, so your worldwide receipts and accruals will be taxable. Mm-hmm. I think Palapala taught us all that when you earn funds in a foreign country that needs to be converted to rands within a 30 day period. But mm-hmm. yes, we keep our ear close to the ground for changes in legislation. And I think that's that's an important point you talk about because what it says to me is you probably need some help if you're going to go the virtual immigration route and you probably need some help from a planner, from a tax advisor, from someone who sort of partners with you through this journey just so they can keep you aware and abreast of any changes in legislation or otherwise. I take your point on that, and particularly it's complex as it is just when we're sort of earning and spending in Zar. And then where to spend? Because my thought was, okay, now I'm earning foreign currency, but to your point, I'm going to bring it back into South Africa. I can externalize it again. And I suppose my investment world remains largely as if I wasn't virtually immigrated. Absolutely. So because of what you've just explained now, the fact that I need to convert it back to RAND, it's almost as if I'm starting from scratch again. And then the choice between investing locally, investing abroad, I mean, that lies with me, right? So Mm -hmm. I need to look at my overall sort of goals and objectives, my overall asset allocation, have a look between onshore and offshore. If I'm externalizing, you know, under a million, I've got my SDA that applies. So yeah. all of those questions come back. It's as if you're starting from scratch, yes. The key thing from chatting with you now quickly is that whilst this seems like all I've got to do is fire up my Zoom and I'm off to the races, <laughs> this really is something where you're going to need professional help across everything. I mean, setting up the legal framework, getting tax and forex, and then, of course, just good old-fashioned financial advisors. 
Absolutely. I think partnering with a network or an ecosystem will help you, will help this entire process work much better for you. And have a look online, you know, do a bit of desktop research, if you want to call it that. There's some good sites out there like remote.co where you can literally find anything and everything to do with remote work. So it tells you what skills are sought out there in the world, gives you an idea of where you can gain those skills. I think it's a good place for people to start. I think it's a great opportunity as well. Brandon Nagy, Liberty Lead Specialist for Retail Investment Proposition Management. Appreciate the insights. And that's our poll today, uh, LinkedIn and X. Are you virtually immigrated? Are you sitting here in sunny South Africa and yet earning foreign cu- currency from, I don't know, somebody in Europe, North America, Asia, South America? Could be anywhere. Have your vote, have your say, LinkedIn and X. Hear that? Nothing. Your money can do more when it blocks out the noise, as hard as it is these days. When you invest in the Standler Balanced Cautious Fund, we manage the risks so that you can see stable inflation-beating returns through market cycles. Invest with more certainty at stanlib.com forward slash more. Stanlib is an authorized financial services provider and a registered manager. MoneyWeb now on the money. I'm chatting with Mario Fisher. He's head of research, Old Mutual Investment Group. Mario, I appreciate the time today. The old way, and I use that phrase somewhat tongue-in-cheek of investing, really was about deep dives in stocks, visiting operations to kick the tires. That's changing with a more quantitative approach, and certainly Old Mutual Investment Group is embracing that. Hi, Simon, and thank you very much. Yes, I would refer to it more as the traditional way versus the systematic way. And yeah, at Old Mutual, we are in the systematic way of investing. What that gives us capacity with is scalability. We can be very nimble with very small teams and focus on our local market, but also invest in any market offshore. And that perhaps, and certainly you're using this in your Old Mutual Global Managed Alpha Fund, it, it is, I suppose, in part size of the market and being able to manage a much larger market base than with just the local market. That's correct, yes. So our Global Managed Alpha Fund is coming up for its 6-year birthday in December this year. It's been kept under wraps for a few years to build a track record. Mm-hmm. And our investment universe is about 45 countries spread across 11 sectors and comprises about 3,000 stock globally. Importantly, it's not around ignoring the data. It's been driven by that data, the information, the insights that you gain, but it's using that quantitative approach to whittle down from a giant-sized universe. Correct, yes. We subscribe to the, the fact that there are common characteristics that all companies possess, and these common characteristics are linked to some state of future return. So our process is looking to a harvest which characteristics are in favor at any point in time and which characteristics are out of favor at any point in time. And we can therefore benefit from things like valuation or quality or momentum metrics when they are working, but also when they're not working. And the way we do that is by shifting our portfolio towards the factors that are being rewarded in the market and away from the factors that are not being rewarded in the market. And we do this on a a monthly basis. You're looking at sort of broad factor investing and there's relationships between them to determine which are currently more in favor and which are out of favor. Yes, that's exactly it. So the relationship between the factors and the factors and the, the returns of the stock to my universe as well. 
Our process is fairly systematic and very objective, and we re-estimate these relationships on a monthly basis, which keeps us very agile, and we can adapt dynamically to the, the market as these conditions are changing or being rewarded. Is this, I mean, across sectors? Because, I mean, different sectors, I imagine, I suppose that's partly the driver. I mean, you mentioned momentum. We saw a lot of momentum in, for example, resource stocks back in 2021. So that will sort of automatically move you between different sectors as they have their day in the sun. Correct, yes. Our process is a bottom-up stock valuation model at its core. So we do it at the individual stock level and we build it up to the entire universe. How that aggregates into sectors or countries or regions like emerging versus developed markets is a side effect of our bottom-up systematic process. So we don't take any top-down sector, country or region view, but we do guardrails to ensure that we're not taking any unintended risks. And part of the bottom-up, I mean, and let's use the war in Ukraine as an example, I mean, that would reflect in companies or operations that are working there simply in the performance of the stocks. Yes, yes. So that relationship would then no longer hold, or those relationships between the factors and the returns of those countries or the stocks in those countries would no longer hold through. And we'll see those shifts coming through in our ranking for all our stocks. So we rank all global stocks simultaneously. So there would be a big shift in that ranking. Also, Russia as a country became untradable. So that would, at that point, have been removed completely from our estimation universe. Is that an example? You mentioned guardrails there where there are rules, I suppose, which would perhaps exclude sectors, territories, regions, or the like, which would just completely exclude from the universe. That's correct, yes. But uh, more importantly, we're also looking to control risk. And in our space, because we are benchmark cognizant, so we measure against the MPI or country world, and we have a tracking area, which essentially limits our, our risk that we want to take. And our guardrails ensure that we're not consuming that risk budget by a handful of stocks, a handful of sectors, or a handful of countries. Gotcha. Um, and what we want to try and do is to diversify at each level to ensure that we're spreading our risk as, as wide as possible. Gotcha. And then the results, I mean, is, is the performance coming through? Um, yeah, so this fund is done particularly well. It's rated as a four-star Morningstar fund, and that's the global rating. So against our local peers, but also of offshore peers. And I think over any measurement period, over the lifetime of this fund, it's generated a positive return above the benchmark. We'll leave it there. Mario Fisher, Head of Research, Old Mutual Investment Group. Appreciate the time today. That's it for today. We're chatting with uh, Jimmy Moyoha on Friday, talking around what were a horror set of spa results. That Sapro light uh, costing at $1.6 billion in uh, revenue in KZN, but other issues as well, just generally really, really struggling in the current environment. We asked you, if you held a spa, over half said, nope, there are better out there. Almost a third said, watching closely. Rather, the rest said, yep, you know what? The worst is over. I mean, for example, they are exiting Poland, taking the money and running. Have your vote, have your say, LinkedIn and X. This show is brought to you by Stanlib. Visit stanlib.com to get in touch with one of their investment specialists. Stanlib Asset Management is an authorized financial services provider. We're live every weekday morning, the Money Web website and the app, 6.30 a.m. podcast, just after 7. Thanks to my team, Eddie, Nobokle, Nicole, to you for listening, my guests for their time. My name is Simon Brown. This is Money Web Now. We'll chat again tomorrow, agri-financing. Money.
You've been listening to another MoneyWeb Now podcast, posted every weekday at 7 a.m. on moneyweb.co.za. MoneyWeb Now, on the money.